This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. Award-winning Irish Times reporter Rosita Boland and Journalist of the Year travelled to India recently with her colleague and our picture editor Brenda Fitzsimons to investigate waste pickers and innovative recycling projects taking place in Bangalore. One part of what she discovered fascinatingly during her time there was a shocking story of a multi-billion euro industry in the city's slums where human hair is a valuable commodity that fetches a high price in beauty salons in the West. The trip was organised by the Simon Combers Media Fund and the article, The Hair Collectors, Where Wigs and Hair Extensions Come From, is available to read on irishtimes.com. And I urge you all to read it. I'm not sure if you'll ever look at hair extensions in quite the same way again. Rosita came into studio to talk to me about what she and Brenda saw in Bangalore. Rosita, how did you come on this story? So myself and Brenda Fitzsimons were funded by the Simon Cumbers Media Fund to do the story about innovation in recycling in Bangalore in India. And uh, at one level, the the story is, is fairly straightforward. There are tens of thousands of waste pickers in Bangalore, and that's replicated in many, many other cities uh, over India. And some non-government organisations such as the one that we were working with, they sort of fill in the gaps that the government can't do. So the government will, there isn't really such a thing as a organised waste collection um, across India. So it's all piecemeal here and there. And the waste pickers fill the gaps that the government can't do. And so So what what do they do? They're the poorest people in society, as you would imagine, because it's a horrible job. And what they do is they go to domestic houses and they collect paper and plastic. It's called dry waste. And previously, all of this would have gone to landfill. So the organisation that we were working with, um, they find places for these waste pickers to bring the paper and plastic to and find people to buy it and it's recycled. So instead of going to landfill, it's sorted, it's recycled and it's a model that can be and is being replicated in some other Indian cities. So that's that's one part of the story. And it's surprisingly uh, well organised from that point of view. People do arrange their recycling. There, there There is a consciousness of it that I think was kind of surprising to a lot of people who read your piece. Yes, and the now I don't know what it's like in other cities, but I know that in Bangalore, the government provide uh, bins to domestic homes and one is for what they call wet waste and that's organic matter and they also then deal with 
other things like electronic stuff. So the government looks after that. And the other bin is for paper and plastic. But I suppose you have to remember that it's it, it, it is in a it does they collect it in a kind of a horrible way. It's um nothing is washed, for instance, so you have a lot of food containers and so they get paid um a particular number of rupees per kilo. And all of these people, waste pickers, live in slums and they bring the paper and plastic back to the slums and they're piled up, they're sorted, bagged, piled up in corners of the slum. Then they're collected maybe once a fortnight or so and brought to these so-called dry waste recycling centres, which sounds kind of clean and organised and it's mountains of plastic bottles and plastic containers and I have a rodent phobia and there were... Uh, there were lots of uh, there were lots of rats running around the place, and the hardest thing about reporting the story for me was trying not to scream my head off every time I saw mounds of plastic shifting and moving, and it was that was really tough. I say it was, and these are the conditions that these people work under. They're they're that they basically delving into rat infested heaps. Yes, and some people also live in uh, live with the piles of rubbish being sorted and the smell is unbearable. But it is a way to make a living and, it, you know, we can't be looking at it from our Western perspective and saying how awful it is. It's it's a, a consistent form of income to people who wouldn't have had any in the past and they also get... These are people who have no identity papers in any sort. I mean, forget the whole thing about passports or ID, but they get um, the the waste pickers get a formal uh, permit to collect waste and that gives them dignity and respect within the community. So that's really important. So that's their recognised well. employment. Yes. And in terms of a weekly income, Rosita, what are we talking about? Very little. There are some figures in the story. It's all there in irishtimes.com. Um, so there's different, depending on the grade of plastic, more heavy duty plastic gets um, more rupees per kilo. And single use plastics such as plastic bottles and those kind of single waste, single use plastic pieces get far less. Also, you know, you have to collect a lot of it to get enough for a kilo and you get about six cents per kilo for plastic water bottles for example six rupees a kilo for cardboard so it is very little indeed so Rosita so you were you went you went over there to to look at this particular aspect of Indian life the waste pickers and you happened upon this particular niche part of it yeah so just two days before myself and uh, my colleague Brenda Fitzsimons uh, went out. I the organisation that we were working with they emailed sort of a draft itinerary for the week of people that to meet in Bangalore, the waste pickers to go to various um, centres to understand how the whole process worked. And uh, one of the one of the items um, on the itinerary was uh, meet with hair collectors and. I think we were travelling on a Friday evening and I saw this on Thursday morning and it's just 
so strange and unusual and striking as something that had never really occurred to me before. And I thought, I think this would be kind of a fascinating part of the story to focus on. So I made sure that we would have more meetings than were originally scheduled with people who collect hair. And just before I left, uh, we were flying out on the Friday evening and just before I left, I was uh, just saying goodbye to uh, one of my editor colleagues and talking about the hair story. And I was joking. I said, well, I don't think it's going to be, you know, people digging hair out of their shower. I had an image in my head that we would be going to barbers and hair salons where people whose hair have been cut in the process of getting their hair done would donate it. Um, And really, that's all. I kind of knew nothing until we got out there. So... When we met with Hasira Dalla, who were the organisation that were helping us figure out how to report the story, they explained that it's all women's hair that's collected and it, indeed women's hair is black. So long black hair fetches 3,000 rupees a kilo and white and grey hair is less valuable and will fetch 1,000 rupees a kilo. And at that point, I still didn't know where it was collected from. And they explained because, again, these are waste pickers and waste pickers are only uh, permitted to go to domestic houses, not to businesses. It's all domestic homes. So literally, people go out from the slums and they they all have their roots. They walk up and down. Um, they call out, um, have you hair? Have you hair? And it's different from it's each slum kind of has a different network of, um, I suppose, lanes and paths and streets and houses that they go out on. And depending on the density of the housing and the number of women living in various um, residences, it can take longer or shorter, but it about takes about two weeks to collect uh, a kilo of black, long black hair. And and just to be clear about the value of this, um, the, the buyer who comes in and buys it from the hair pickers pays uh, 2,400 rupees, which is the equivalent of 31 euro a kilo, just so people have that in their heads. Yeah, so, they, so it's a, it's the, the people who collect the hair get about, they get about 31 euro per kilo and it takes between 10 days and a fortnight to collect that much and then that's the very first link in a chain that goes all the way to the west it's a it's estimated that in two years time it'll be a 10 billion dollar global industry in hair extensions and And wigs and wigs so and just going back Rosita to where the hair actually comes from you had this idea you would be going into hairdressers and barbers and that sort of thing in fact it's not like that they're going around the streets calling out hair it's 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 not going into hair salons and barbers it is calling out uh, in front of domestic houses and women who have saved the combings from their hairbrushes and their combs usually they they'll save for a week or a month, depending on how many women are in the household. And they come out. I mean, I saw it myself. I saw a woman come out with a a handful of hair combings from whoever was in her household. And it's different in in every slum. Some 
some women will give their hair for free and some because it has a value and in India uh, economics is as micro as you can get it there is a barter system so one slum that we went to visit and we followed the the women out with they have a barter system that they had cardboard um they were holding card like cardboard and there were tiny little hair clips attached to them so they would you know give a let's a trinket basically and some other women had a really cheap kind of aluminium utensils tiny little uh tiny little um drinking containers some bowls and depending on how much hair they were getting from that household they would get a smaller the woman giving it would get a smaller or bigger piece so not everybody gives it for free and then you've that's just one part so then they the hair has to be sorted because obviously it's just in a kind of a, a ball the way it comes off your comb and it is I mean, it's almost mind-blowing to think of sorting through a kilo of strands of hair and separating the black from the gray because it's all See, there are people of different ages in the household, so it all comes together. And we, one of the group of women that we followed, we went back to the slum and there were others there working on hair that had already been collected and come from a distance. I mean, there's they're beautiful saris. It's a really hot, bright day. We're in the middle of the slum and these women are sitting down and their hands are busy working. And from a distance, you know, we could be kind of at a craft group anywhere in the world, people embroidering or knitting or sewing. And as we went closer to them, we could see that they were sorting, literally strand by strand, sorting the hair. And before they can sell it on to the next person, it needs to be sorted. So they also wash it. And we saw um, then at, at some point they, when they've collected, uh, sorted enough, it'll be kind of, loosely gathered into a sort of a it'll be plaited at the at the very top end washed and hung out to dry and it is the most surreal sight really surreal it's the oddest looking washing you're ever going to see what what is the washing process Rosita? it is completely and utterly at that stage of the process it couldn't be more analog i don't know if that's the right word being washed in filthy containers of, of water. Anyway, by the time it reaches the West, it'll be completely sterile and clean. But this is at the very, very beginning of the process. We were there for a week and we saw a lot of hair and it's still, there's just something incredibly visceral about seeing hair, clumps of hair. And in one slum, the hair that's collected there isn't sorted at all. So we were brought deep into the slum. A mat was put out, we sat down and the hair there is... Clearly, it's a very valuable commodity. So it was in a, a metal trunk and one of the, the men who was the kind of the leader of the slum, he had the key for the padlock. And as we sat there and the 40 other people living in the slum were also looking at us and looking at the box, he took out the key, he opened the padlock, he lifted the lid of the metal trunk and he started to lift out white plastic bags. And in a kind of a frenzy, he started opening them and throwing the contents onto the floor of the hut that we were in. And it was all, it was hair. It was just hair, balls everywhere. And that remains under lock and key until the next buyer in the chain arrives once a fortnight. And 
weighs it and removes it. Green and Black's Velvet Edition range brings a variety of signature flavours, introducing a smoother, velvety taste with a premium chocolate experience, and all with our Green and Black's promise of the finest ingredients and ethically sourced cocoa. Rosita, one of the things, uh, if people refer to the piece in the Irish Times, but those amazing photographs by Brenda Fitzsimons, which really bring what you're describing to life in terms of that the surreal image of the women sitting around like a little craft working team. One of the things you also do is you com- we, we, we compare the price of hair per kilo for the people, for the hair pickers and what it ends up as in a hair extension in Dublin. So it begins at 31 euro a kilo and winds up at 3,000 a kilo. The price of the full head based on 1.25 grams hair extensions in Dublin, almost 100 times what hair collectors in India get. Now, having done this, Rosita, having walked through this, what sounds like a really terrible journey to any of us with the unsettling images of rats and that sort of thing in the, in the waste piles, would you wear a hair, would you look for hair extensions now? I suppose like many people, I really hadn't given it much thought, except... I do know that uh, real hair, um, whether it's a, a wig or a hair extensions, is very expensive. I think if I thought about it at all, I assumed that maybe, if I, I don't know, the only, I keep thinking of Joe cutting off her hair in Little Women. I suppose that's an image that everyone who's ever read that book will, will keep with them because at a very early age as a child, you realise that hair is valuable because hair, Joe cuts off her hair and sells it. That was really exotic thought to me growing up in the west of Ireland. So I think somewhere I knew that hair was valuable because I'd read Little Women. But until I went out to India to report that story, I hadn't thought about it. Would I get hair extensions? No, but lots of people do. And why wouldn't you, though? I think it's like the idea of having a part of somebody else's entity on you, um... In the way that, like, I buy a lot of clothes in secondhand shops, but the one thing I would never buy are shoes or boots because there's just something quite, uh, I don't know, for me anyway, the idea of literally walking in somebody else's uh, shoes or boots, that's a bit too maybe unsettling to me. I'm always fascinated by people who have transplants and who have parts of other people's bodies in them, and, of course, they're incredibly grateful for that. But I don't really know it, just the idea of, of wearing somebody else's hair wouldn't would just I think freak me out a bit now uh, but obviously lots of women don't mind this at all and we know that the hair industry is is huge and and yes yeah, so so are people who buy hair extensions are they actually supporting almost unwittingly are they actually supporting this industry in a good way it's a commodity which we in the west would consider to be of no value we throw our hair in the bin you know the or I do anyway the combings from my um, you know, when I when I brush my hair, so it, it is a it is a commodity that has value. I suppose what is really the real story is where what happens at once it leaves the slum. Who is making all this money from what is an incredibly valuable product? By the time it comes to the West, the people who collect it at the very beginning are not seeing any of that money at all. So somewhere. Uh, out there in the middle, there are people making millions and millions and millions um, out of this economy 
unlike so many things in life, the people who are at the very, very beginning of the chain are never going to see almost nothing of that money. See, one of the things you made me think about was when I was having treatment a few years ago, the first thing I had to do was go and get a wig. Um, and the choice is between real hair and acrylic wigs. And I decided that real hair was the, was the ecological choice um, because the other seemed um, plasticky and didn't seem to come from very good origins from an environmental point of view. But now you've made me wonder, should I did choose real hair in the end, and it was a good choice from my point of view. Um, but in the end, it's just something, you know, it's such a valuable piece to write, Rosita, because it's forced us to think about something that we actually don't think about. And there's also, there is a particularly valuable kind of hair, isn't there? Yes, the black hair is the, is the most valuable. Grey and white hair is one third, the, it fetches one third the price. Now, obviously that hair, that grey and uh, white hair, you know, that gets dyed somewhere along the way. But they're really, the valuable uh, black hair is not dyed. You know, that's the value is in the colour. That's what fetches the highest price. I mean, like everything else, it's a personal choice for people. And it is an amazing facility to have for, like in your experience, when you needed to, to wear a wig. And whatever is going to make somebody feel better about the situation that they're dealing with. You know, that's a really good thing. I suppose it's part of us all being obliged to interrogate ourselves and our choices. And this is why what you've done is so valuable with Brenda. In the end, Rosita, what did the trip, what, what did the trip in its entirety tell you about waste and, and how it's being handled? Or where we're all going? Are we all going to hell in a handcart? We know that we are producing insane amounts of plastic and it's so depressing. And I thought it was quite ironic that when we were at the at Dublin airport flying out, well, from the terminal that we were flying out, I have a SIG water bottle, which is a which I've had for years. And I fill that up as I go along the way. And I uh, was looking for a water fountain to fill up the bottle before I got on the plane. In a lot of airports around the world, there are fountains where you can, uh, you know, you can drink from and you can fill your bottle. And I could not find one. Maybe there's one there, but from the terminal we were flying from and I did hunt around, I couldn't find any place to fill my water bottle. But there was a whole wall of what's called plain water and you pay a euro or something and you take your single use plastic bottle with you on the plane. Like once you start thinking about waste, because we were, of course, totally focused on plastic. Why is there so much single use plastic? Why aren't we all using water bottles and it was just so ironic. And Rosita, is there a consciousness in Bangalore of this? Are they aware that they are part of a, quite an important movement now? The waste some pickers? people are, but at base, it's about money. It's a way. To, it's a way to make money. So I think that we're privileged. So we think about the environment in a different way. For these people, I don't think the environment ever waste pickers. I, I don't think that ever enters their head. I mean, you to see the appalling, abject poverty that people live in. But they see paper and plastic as a way to make money and to survive. So it's as as basic as that. Rosita Boland, thank you very much indeed. And also 
Brenda Fitzsimons for the photographs. And you can find her brilliant piece, The Hair Collectors, with Brenda's photographs on irishtimes.com. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you do want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast, or you can email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. If you like what we do, then please do head along to iTunes and give us a review and tell all your friends about it. The podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and until next time, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.